Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to episode 40 of the Agile Pubcast. My name is Paul Goddard. As you may be able to hear, the new year has already bought me my first present, a stinking cold. So apologies for my overly gruff voice. This month, we are holding the first of our live pubcasts. That's where Jeff and I will record the pubcast with a group of our listeners in the audience. The first event is going to be held at a pub called The Three Pairs, and that's in Worcester. So if you're interested in coming along, you can Google the Worcester Agile Scrum People for full details of the event. So on with the first show of 2018. I'm sure most of you are all following or subscribing to us by now, but if this is your first listen, you can find all our episodes by looking for the Agile Pubcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. So let's play the jingle. Good evening, Paul. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Good. I'm good, actually. Yeah. We're in a. We're in a. This is a cool bar. We should. I know we try and do a different one every time, but I reckon this could become somewhere. We, we could come back here. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah. This is good. It's called the Four Thieves. Yeah. It's in technically. I think it's in. I'd say Battersea, between Battersea and, and Clapham in London. Yeah, on the outskirts. Not not right in the centre. Probably yeah. not the square mile. Yeah. <coughs> but they make their own beer. It's a brewery. Yeah. And there's lots of games going on here. There's like a, a, an 80s retro, not 80s, 90s retro arcade upstairs, which we'll be looking at later on. There's a puzzle room, which we're doing later on as well. Yeah. We're here for the puzzle room. So we do that a lot. Jeff, when Jeff and I can work away, we try and... Um, That's got to be put on, surely. <laughs> Female Jimmy Carr. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we, escape rooms people often yes. you know, locked in. You have to solve puzzles to get out. It is, an it's, hour. And it's a great, it's actually a really good, if anyone's interested in kind of team building activities and collaborate, how to collaborate in a time-boxed environment, it's quite an interesting lateral thinking challenge. Mm. We enjoyed them. And uh, they make their own beers here, so I'm, I'm trying something called Battersea Power. And it's a, it's obviously, we're near Battersea Power. Yeah, so. very, very relevant. Yeah. And it's a black IPA. Ooh, it is so very as black. You can isn't see, it? it's very black. It's um, also like stout or Guinness. So it's defined as it looks dark, tastes light, and it does. When you drink something that dark, you expect it to be quite heavy. Right, but it's not. It's really, really quite easy to drink. Uh, and it's a what's they call it? A bit of cognitive dissonance, where you, you know, you're expecting it to taste like something, but it tastes different. Okay. Um, so it's a bit of a awakening for your brain. It's it's a little, I'd say, tiny, tiny bit sweet. Right. Which again, you don't expect from something that dark. But um, not particularly hoppy. No. But very easy to drink, quite refreshing. I, I think I could down that quite. I'm not going to, but I think I could down really? it quite easily. Is that because you're thirsty as well? Though, oh it? yeah, I am a little bit, a um, little bit thirsty after a long day, but yeah, it's good. Mm. And what are you drinking? I'm taking it easy tonight, Jeff. I'm sorry, sorry, listeners, to be disappointing. But I'm not drinking cider. I'm drinking the black stuff, but it's a pint of Diet Coke. 
that's as, as far as I'm, I'm just not, I'm not feeling on top of the world today, so I'm taking it easy. With lime? There is a slice of lime, a fruit. Slice so, of lime. So I taste it for you and, and give it, so let, it. Let's, let's, have a, let's have a taste. Ice and a slice. Oh, it's sweet. Yeah, there we go, it's sweet, it's just like syrup, there you go. <laughs> well, cheers anyway. Cheers, chap, nice to see you again. It's been fun. So, oh, puzzle rooms, so is there anything agile about puzzle rooms? Well, well yeah, we talked... I think we talked offline about this quite a lot, and um, there is the, the you're thrown together in a in a uh, well, it's a, it's a first thing I think it's motivating, isn't it? It's a challenge. It's, yeah. it's something that's something that you know is achievable. It's like that new new product development game concept that the, these teams in Japan were given a technical challenge, and then you know just given a fairly limited limitless. Um, resources to do it, so so it's like you're stretching your brain to, 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 to the ultimate challenge, is to break out the room or to solve the puzzle. Yeah, I suppose we're going into it knowing that it is possible. Yes, um, I guess some teams might not know that what they're trying to do is possible. Yeah. There's a clear end, but no, you know, there will be times when when we are really struggling to solve the problem and we can't yeah. see the solution. Yeah. Um, and knowing and perhaps reminding ourselves that actually it is possible there is an answer there someone has solved this before yeah um, we just need to think about it differently yeah uh, so the boss and that that kind of mindset I think is helpful even if you don't know that it's possible yeah telling yourself that it is working on the assumption that it is increases your chances of finding the answer so as well so if you haven't done an escape room or a puzzle room and um, just they usually, they usually, I mean, they're all over the Europe all these days. They're, um, I think they're originally an Eastern European idea that have kind of um, now become popular in, as a tourist kind of um, attraction. But anyway, so the, the basic premise is that you're locked into a room with some kind of theme or some kind of um, narrative element um, behind it. But you're locked in a room and you've got to either escape or you've got to solve the puzzles complete all the puzzles to get out of the room or to discover the treasure, whatever it might be. And it's and quite what, linear in that you solve one puzzle. Well, not all. So this is the thing. This is what, what what's interesting is that some rooms are linear. So I've done a couple with my kids over the last um, few weeks. You locked them in a room for an hour. Yeah, they didn't enjoy it very much. We, went, we sat in the bar. No, no, we didn't do that. I'm not a bad parent. Um, but some games are very linear. Or is it in that one puzzle leads to the next, which leads to the next? But some puzzles, the harder puzzle rooms, tend to be the ones that are non-linear. So you might go into one room and find a key that unlocks something in the previous room, or you've got to go back into the other room, and part of the puzzles being solved is in that room and part of it. So it's like, it's some, some rooms are linear, some rooms are not. And I was going somewhere that, but I can't remember what it was. But it reminds me a little bit, that's what it was, it reminds me of the Goldilocks principle, Jeff. Okay. It reminds me of, you don't want a, ch a puzzle that's too easy. Yeah. Because it's no well, challenge. Yeah, you don't want it so hard. On, and Nigel's got a term for this. We've done some of these rooms with Nigel. Nigel would call it like like a cheeky, a cheeky. Um, what do you call it? Well, he just doesn't like having to search for something. <laughs> that's what he doesn't want. But it's something that's deliberately like we were in a puzzle room a few weeks back, and there was a battery hidden in a chair leg. Yeah. Which you might think that's a brilliant idea. But that was, for me, that was too hard. If, if it, it was, we would never have looked in a chair leg. No. Picking up a chair, turning it upside down and expecting him. 
never expected. So it's about finding something that's like, yeah, that's a really, like some of the puzzles we've done were really, that's really clever. Yeah. You kind of recognise that, yeah, that was a great puzzle and that was really, really just about right. No, that's just a, that's a right. fair point. And we talk about motivation a lot and challenge is motivating. Yeah. But it has to be and perceived to be yeah. achievable. Yes, that's right. Teams that believe they're being pitched something that they can't achieve yeah. will be demotivated, demotivated. And, and possibly won't even try. Yeah. Now, there's a, it's an interesting one because actually belief is a powerful thing. Yeah. And um, there, is, there, is, uh, there is an argument to be made for some people don't know how good they are. They don't know how much potential they have. No. And actually putting themselves in a position where they don't think they, they can achieve it, but you know they can, or believe they can, yeah. um, can lead to some magical results and, and a really good sort of awakening. Yeah. Second time I've used that word. Yeah. Real Pygmalion effect. Yeah. You have to explain that for our listeners. Um, well... The Rosenthal Jakobsen study from the 60s. Uh, basically, some scientists went into schools and told the teachers that a number of their students, they, they tested the students and they told the, pet, the, the, the teachers that a number of those students in the next 12 months were going to be spurters. They were going to actually really go on and develop yeah. significantly over the next 12 months. Uh, and they should you know, keep an eye on them, keep watching. And in fact, they just picked them at random. Yeah. Uh, and they tested them again in 12 months' time, and they found that those kids had statistically uh, relevantly improved. Yeah. And that was it was a random factor, but the the fact is that um, the conclusion was rather that because the teachers believed it was going to happen, and there was an element of the white coat syndrome yeah. you know, of someone scientific coming in and saying this is a test, and yeah, we found it must it, be true. They believed it was true. Yeah. They then acted as if it was true yeah. and so we're looking for signs that they were capable they gave them more perhaps more challenging work and they acted in a way that helped the kids believe that they were going to be improving and everything the kids did because they had belief in themselves then reinforced the, parent, the, the teacher's view and it was kind of a, you know, a positive cycle positive yeah. loop and believe that they could do it um, yeah so that idea that Actually, having belief increases the chances of success. I think is um, something to bear in mind with scrum. It's quite easy for an agile team to to think the opposite. Really, is to, to think things are stacking up against them. Like there's there's too much in the way of change or success, or too many impediments, too many people that don't support them. Yeah, and this will never work. That kind of approach, and you kind of get what you look for. Yeah, yeah. if you think. If you're kind of glass half empty kind of person and you think things are always going to screw up and go wrong, then you will notice all the things that screw up and go wrong. Yeah. I suppose for me, a puzzle room is kind of like a sprint. Okay. It's a fixed time box. There's some puzzles you've got to solve along the way, but you've got a clear start and end. Yeah. There should be a goal behind what you're doing. Yeah. I suppose we can't. We can't create our own sprint backlog because we don't know what the puzzles are no. and we can't tackle them in our in our order and we may not have all the skills necessary <laughs> to get done well, that's, and that's why it's so disappointing when you but then 
I have to say that we're obviously uh, we're very good at these games, so we, uh, we usually do get out. But there are situations that we were one in Munich, weren't we? And we um, that was too hard. The one in Munich. Well, yeah, we didn't speak German. It didn't help. So all the clues were coming through on a little walkie-talkie radio in German, and we had a our Dutch friend Niels who was trying to translate. Hi, Niels. Um, from uh, German. So we had a Dutch speaker translating for us <laughs> from German to English. It was, uh, it was a nightmare. No, we didn't get out. It was too hard, it was too difficult. Yeah. I think we only got like half of the way through the puzzles as well, within an hour. Mm. We were a long way short. Oh, I mentioned about the white coat syndrome, or the white coat effect. Yeah, I want to have to explain that one as well. Yeah. Well, generally that people are more more trusting, more believing of somebody who appears to have authority. Right, okay. And a doctor is a classic symbol of authority and trust. Right. So if, if someone is wearing the white coat of a doctor, even if they're not a doctor, they take, people will generally take their word more. Yeah. They will think more favourably of them. Yeah. They're more likely to, to help them yeah. and, and meet a request that that person has of them. Yeah. And that's, that's one of, that, that, that's part of um, Robert Cialdini's six principles of persuasion. Absolutely, yeah. Authority. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking to increase your chances of persuading somebody to help you or, yeah. or, or do something that you would like them to do, yeah. then you can use those principles. Yeah. And these, are, these are kind of human. I watched, I watched a video on, a Cialdini video on it last week, and it's saying this is, these are human biases that we have. We, yeah. we, we pick up on those signals and we respond to them. So the other ones that, again, you'll have to help me out here from memory. There's one about, um, my fav- one of my favorite ones, about social proof. Yeah. So we're much more likely to do something that we believe other people are doing. Yeah. So everyone else is doing it. Why don't I? Yeah. So it's um, a bit like when you walk past a restaurant and you see it's full. Uh-huh. full to everyone, and so well, it must be it must be a good restaurant because everyone else is in there. Let's let's go in and see if we can get a table. Um, yeah, we're more like sheep than we think. Exactly. Um, I mean, the one that most people will will be familiar with is is the signs in your hotel room. Right? Yes. Uh, reuse your towels. So rather than say, please reuse your towels. Eight out of ten of our guests yeah. general will reuse their towels yeah, rather than ask for new ones. By making, making it clear that the vast majority of people do yeah. makes it more likely that, that you will. Uh, and you can get more specific. You know, 93% of people in this room yeah. reuse their towels. And it's the old, uh, remember the old whiskers advertising slogan? Eight out of ten, ten cats prefer whiskers. Oh, yeah. So social proof. It, it's a common advertising kind of technique, isn't it? Mm. That kind of idea. Everyone else is buying it. Yeah. Therefore, why, why shouldn't you? What other what are ones have we got? Reciprocity. That's easy for you to say. Yeah. The, so, as human beings, we generally have the view that it's, it's normal to... Reciprocate a good turn. Okay. So if I do you a favour, there's a good chance that I can expect you to do me a favour because you feel obliged to. Right. So if I like offer you and uh, your wife round for dinner, yeah, there's a, there's a good chance I can hope that you'll invite me back for dinner another time. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and, and what, what Cialdini says there is, if you ask for a favour, yeah. you're more likely to increase your influence with that person. Right. 
because they then see you as someone who is likely to offer them yeah, a favour exactly. in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which it took me a while to get my head around because yeah. it seemed a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, normally if I wanted to to get someone's favour, I would I wouldn't ask them for something. No. I would offer them something. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, it, it does make sense when you when you think about it. Yeah. There's so that's three. Liking is another one. What's, okay, so if I actually am more li likely to be influenced by someone, by someone, or influenced someone if they like me, or if, if I like them. Yeah, yeah, to a degree, and it's based on the fact that we're more likely to like somebody who we think is like us. Okay. So if we have similar values, yeah. or we have things in common, yeah. then we're more likely to be influenced by them and persuaded by that's them. That's also about rapport, surely. You develop exactly. relationships and rapport with people. Exactly, but they're, they're, what this is saying is actually there's a sort of almost a default baseline inbuilt level of rapport to members of your tribe. Yes. People Whatever your tribe like is. You, yeah. um, so there's that, there's that. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to revisit this in yeah, part in two. In part two, we'll come back in part two. We're about to go off and do our puzzle room, so uh, we'll report back. See you soon. And we're back. Part two, Jeff. Part Welcome two. back. Well, yeah. Welcome so back to the bar for the second time today. For most, for most of you, you won't even notice that we were gone. No. But uh, as you can tell, it's a little bit busier than it was before we uh, cut out. So we were in the middle of talking about uh, Cialdini's six principles of persuasion. Yes. And we talked about four of them, I think. Reciprocity, authority. Social proof. Social proof and liking. There's two more. There's two more. So uh, my favourite of the six is commitment and consistency. And okay. the, the reason it's my favourite is because I, I like some of the studies that are being done to back it up and to prove it. And so I, I explain, uh, when, when we're talking about this to people, I explain about how... Um, the first study is around NHS appointments, so going to see your, your GP, your doctor, your, your family, okay, yeah. general practitioner, and how in the UK there has been over the years an epidemic of DNAs did not attend, okay. so people not turning up basically, making an appointment, not turning up, huge amount of waste, huge amount of frustration, yeah. wasting cost, time, money, everything. Yeah. And so they do a study on, on just making some subtle changes to the process of making appointments. Yeah. And one of them involved, instead of the receptionist writing on a card when your appointment was, the patient would write on the card, my appointment is on this date at this time. Right, okay. And they found just by making that simple change, the number of people who didn't attend went down by 18%. And sort of rationale, the sort of uh, rationalisation of that is that most people, by writing it down, they feel that that's their commitment, yeah. and whereas when the receptionist writes it down, it's, it's the, the receptionist making that commitment, and they don't think of themselves as somebody that breaks their word. Yeah. It's a similar thing why I'm... Um still a massive fan of people actually physically signing up to tasks on a sprint backlog so yeah. the actual and I'll get people to do this in a training course or whatever that grab a pen do you think it's actually is it a is it 
Is there a difference between writing my name on the task or like choosing it, selecting it in a tool? Do you think there is a difference in that? How yeah, much yeah. commitment you experience by actually physically writing your own name on something? I would say so. I, I think so. I, as I well. talk about the power of the pen. Yeah. And the act of physically writing something down. Yeah. I, and, uh, you know, I get regu regularly we get people say we get the same things coming up in retrospectives. We yeah. actually don't do anything about them. Yeah. And you know, I blogged a while ago about swatting your actions, making them specific, yeah. writing them down, working out why they're attractive to you, and then telling someone about them. It means you're much more likely to put them into practice. Yeah. Writing them down increases the chances that happen. I agree, absolutely agree. And, and the second study in this area, which I really like, the whole trickle-treating idea, is Halloween was not too long ago, so yeah. it's still relevant. Going around to people's houses and trickle-treat, get some sweets. It's still uh, sort of in our content. And there were studies done around trick-or-treating where uh, a, a sort of dummy house was set up right. with a bowl of sweets, or as our Americans would say, candy, candy yeah. um, outside in a bowl with a note saying, we've gone out, trick-or-treating, please take a, please take take a, a sweet. What they found was, when faced with the prospect of free sweets, yeah. kids stuffed their pockets. They took so they as took, much as they took could. More than one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Took more than one. Yeah. And they did. The, so that was the sort of control, if you like, of the, yeah. uh, the experiment. And the, and the alternative hypothesis: they, they created exactly the same house, exactly the same bowl of candy, exactly the same note. Right. But the only difference being there was a mirror. And so when people were thinking about taking one suite or many suites, they could see themselves doing it. Really? And the rationalisation being that very few people actually think of themselves as thieves. And so when right. looking at somebody in the mirror, they don't see a thief. Right. They see a decent person. I wonder if you get the same effect on a sprint backlog like on a task force. So, put a mirror. Put, see, if I see myself writing or taking a task, so I wonder if it has the same psychological effect. Well, so when I talk about swatting your actions, to me, the telling somebody is, is the equivalent the verbal, of the mirror. Verbal, verbal yeah. commitment. Looking you in the eye yeah. and saying, I'm going to do this, yeah. is the equivalent of writing my appointment down or looking at myself in the mirror. I, you are the mirror of, yeah. of, that, of your own of commitment. I don't want to be seen by you yeah. as somebody who, who fails their commitments. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And what's, the, the, and what's the last one? Scarcity. Uh, scarcity, yeah. So it's, there's just not very many, you know, you've got to grab it while it's there because it's not going to be around forever. Yeah. Okay, got it. We're, we're quite easily fooled. Yeah. As human beings. And so the act of, there aren't many available. Yeah. It's a limited edition. Yeah, limited time offer. Limited time offer, you know, closing down sale, those yeah. kinds of things. That generally spurs people into action. Um, and also, if there's a limited number of things, then you can be in the, the minority, the elite, yeah. that gets them. Yeah. And so that kind of scarcity, and, and I know you made, you made a good point, I, I'm glad you did, and I want to re-emphasize it here. This isn't about manipulation, it's not no. about manipulating scarcity. No. To, to um, falsifying yeah, the information. Yeah. But if there is, and we were talking about this with, um, I was talking about this with a group of people who were looking at uh, trying to get um, 
some of their stakeholders involved in user testing. Yeah. And they said, well, at the moment they're resistant to it because it, it's you know, it's an extra burden for them. It's, right. It's more time. Yeah. It's not. You know, it's, it, re it requires effort. But by saying we only allow X number of people to be user testers, yeah. and user testers are able to have a greater say in the shaping of the product, yeah. and you know, more likely to get their concerns met. If there's only a certain number of people that are spots that are available, then people started you know, queuing up effectively really? to, to be the user testers. Really? Whereas if it was just a case of you know, anybody who's interested in being a user tester, it was easier to let that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. User tester, that's not what I meant. But, yeah, very good. So, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so those are the six principles of persuasion. Yep. And, and whilst we're not suggesting here, again, we're not just to re-emphasize, scrum masters and agile coaches. No, I think it's just be aware of them, really, and be aware of how how just, we are. Just knowing how humans react. Think, you yeah. Know, our our biases, our tendencies, our our natural traits. Yeah. We do see them all the time. We've got a so second part two. Um, Jeff's got a a new pint, a ridiculously expensive pint, most expensive pint I've ever bought. Nine pounds seventy. Yeah, for is a it, pint of ale. Yeah, nine pounds what's seventy. So, what's so special about it? I really don't know. Does it taste good? But I'll tell it's you what. Called Bloom. Bloom. I think it's Bloom. Well, yeah, it's the Bloom IPA, and I think scarcity has played a part in that. To be so, supply and demand has determined the price. So, it's they only have one barrel of it, and so they put the price up. And for someone like me who likes something different, I was intrigued. It's that expensive; it must be good. Yeah. So I had to have a go. Yeah. And it's to be fair, it's quite nice. Yeah. It is. Quite, I, is it nine pounds seventy-eight? I don't think it's twice as good as the one I had earlier. <laughs> And also, so, so I'm, 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 it tastes quite strong. I'm on my, is it quite strong? I'm going to have to. 4%, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. 4.5%. Yeah. I'm on my second uh, a half pint of Diet Coke now. I'm staying off the drink tonight, but since part one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we need to inform you that we have since done a puzzle room. And failed. We failed. Um, it did raise an interesting thing, so unusual for, unusual for puzzle rooms that Jeff and I do. We were thrown into a group with other people that we didn't know. So two of us uh, became a team of six with four other people that we just didn't know. Um, which was created an interesting dynamic in the room, would you agree? It did, yeah, it did. And I'm not going to blame them for, for the failure, but it certainly had an effect on, I think, my... How, how willing I was and how... how how I tackled the problems, I think. Well, I think it's fair to say that most, most people who are listening will, will experience, at some point, the scenario of a new person joining the team. Correct. And when a new person joins the team, the rest of the team will help bring them up to speed. Yeah. And that process 
slows the team down. Of course it does. So you and I have done puzzle rooms before. The other four people had not. Had not. Correct, yeah. And so there was a lot of time spent explaining the mechanics, the basics, the fundamentals, and the process. And for me, that was frustrating. That it was okay. Yeah, I can see that. But it was it was required and essential. But it was suboptimal. Yeah. And the fact that we normally have an hour to do these things, but this time we only had 45 minutes. It seemed minutes. a lot shorter, didn't it? It seemed a lot uh, shorter. So, yeah, we, I think we were, we were up against it. Yeah. But we, we did okay. We didn't um, get out. We no, did. we, didn't, we didn't win. It was a good room, good theme. It was good. It was a good theme. It was good. Good narrative. We had a games master who was all dressed up and gave us a whole story behind the uh, the puzzle and the, the escape. Yeah, he was in character. He was very and stayed in character. All stayed quite in eerie, quite scary. I, I'm not a big fan of that, as you know. I'm very easily frightened. But uh, yeah. Oh, we didn't get out. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It was good. And we were we were out in time for the pub quiz. Yes, so we the pub quiz started at eight o'clock and we uh, we threw our hat in the in the ring, didn't we Jeff? We did. And lo and behold, we've ended up winning the damn thing. So we're uh, fifty English pounds richer this evening. Well we were until I bought that pint. <laughs> <laughs> No, we, um, we, bought, we, we we came first. We, we did. We won a bottle of wine. We won 50 English pounds. And we have a strange signed a picture. A signed photo the, of the quiz master. The quiz, the quiz host. Who looks like a cross between uh, one, of the, one of the singers from the cartoons group yeah. and the games master from the Hunger Games. Yeah. And we won four tickets to indoor golf, crazy golf. Yeah, that we probably can't Which we use. can't use because <laughs> we're not going to be here again. But, so it's uh, been a good um, result. Successful night. Yeah, in many ways. So, yeah, we'll, we'll tweet a picture of our winnings. And certainly the picture, which is a little bit strange. There we are. Mm. It was good. Right. Yeah, successful night. All in all. Yeah, that's very good. And, uh, yeah, I think... Um, one, shame, one last shameless link, I suppose, would yeah. be that uh, the idea of adding more people to a team doesn't necessarily speed them up. Yeah. And uh, we experienced that tonight. Yeah, I think we were slowed down by having more I think we would have more chance of success as a team of two in the present world than a team of six. However, there is an element... And it's a mixture, isn't it? It's just like... There's an element of frustration, yeah. but also an element of... Enjoyment, I suppose, in, in helping other people. In helping people learn that. Yeah, yeah bring up. Sharing that experience. Yeah, helping them enjoy that experience more. Yeah. So there we go, a nice agile kind of note to finish on. Yeah. And interestingly, at this time of night, it seems to be getting busier. Yeah, it's like 5 to 11 and the bar's getting even busier. So we'll sign up now while you can still hear us. Cheers, mate. Nice. Cheers, everybody. See you soon. Ta-da.